Welcome to the Meg, John and Justin podcast. Uh, we have a very special guest this week, um, Joanna Ramiro. We're going to be talking about Radical Huger. That's right, isn't it, Joanna? Radical Huger? I believe it's pronounced Higa. But Higa? I am not Scandinavian, so perhaps don't take my pronunciation of it as perfect. But I think if we go by Higa at the moment, it should be more yeah. or less okay. <laughs> Joanna is a freelance journalist. Um, and uh, I know Joanna from uh, her work with Politics Theory Other on the podcast Red Hacks, um, which is a podcast about um, lefty journalists, right, I guess. And, Indeed. Um, yeah, uh, which was really, really interesting. Um, and so... There's more coming about? up, I should say, by the way. Oh, um, oh that's great. So. Well, yeah, well, well, don't hesitate to plug your work, Joanna. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... This, we started chatting because uh, Joanna wrote this fantastic thread on Twitter about uh, radical uh, Huger. He, <laughs> oh this is going to oh happen dear. throughout the whole episode. Yeah, Higa. Really imagine it's, Higa. I imagine it is like a sort of an I there instead of a Y, I guess. Higgle. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Right. I, I'm okay. also going a lot by my, I speak German, and so I'm going a lot by that, which might be a completely wrong approach, to be fair. Well, um, let's, let's settle on Higger. Okay. Um, so <laughs> apologies dear listener if you are uh, if if you're yelling at us right now but you know hopefully the int- the, the ideas were so interesting that you'll be you won't care about the, the poor pronunciation so um, there's this fantastic uh, Twitter thread that Joanna wrote um, uh, about Radical Higger and it's something that we wanted to kind of unpack and for, for me I was thinking you know we, we often on our podcast talk about um, lefty stuff <laughs> um, uh, sometimes a bit of yelling and swearing going on as well particularly in uh, the COVID-19 crisis that we're in the middle in mm. middle of um, so we thought it would be a, a really good fit for our podcast to have you on so thank you so much for coming on and no thank uh, you chatting with us about it we'll link to the Twitter thread at the end uh, in the show notes and stuff so um, you'll find it and I guess there if you do any other writing about it then People might be able to find about it from there, I suppose, Joanna. Absolutely. Uh, and from your Twitter thread, which is Joanna Ramiro UK. Indeed. Okay, so let's unpack the terms, shall we? So yeah. it seems like there are a couple of terms here. So <laughs> first of all, let's go with Higa and what we mean by that um, before we get onto the radical bit. Um, right. So um, I guess can you can you uh, sum it up in your thread? You kind of talk about it in terms of like coziness and. Um, feeling quite there's a derbyshire word for this where i'm from called nesh oh good uh, but, i i want yeah. to basically i want to co-opt all these all these uh, terminologies um yeah. into the development of my of my cause radical higa <laughs> um so higa is this uh scandinavian uh concept of togetherness um mm-hmm. it is very much premised um on uh, sociability and and being with those you share something in common a commonality usually by defined by as far as i understand it defined by um well if effectively regionality right like your your mm-hmm. immediacy in terms of geography um so mm-hmm. your neighbor you know those mm-hmm. that share something in common with you in the immediate mm-hmm. term um 
given that this is not a, a millennial concept, obviously um, mm. it was premised before the time of internet and social media. So yeah. more, more often than not, this commonality would have to be uh, geographically bound. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say Scandinavian, I believe this is mostly uh, premised in Norway or, or a, a big thing in Norway and Denmark. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping I'm not offending anyone in the process of saying Mm -hmm. this. (laughs) Um, Maybe it's really big in Sweden as well. I am not entirely sure. Um, But from my read from it. And importantly, to me at least, um, Hege came to prominence a few years ago through the kind of hipster movement, I guess, if Mm. you want to call it a movement. Um, Particularly aesthetically in terms of uh, interior design, decor, uh, and so on as basically a general term for you know lighting up scented candles and and Mm -hmm. going with a very minimalist aesthetic in your home but that also um brings in elements of practicality and and uh, you know things like cooking from home i mean all the things that actually and this is why i did the thread originally that now you might be seeing popping up on your feed in your social media you know people making bread at home and then basically literally sharing bread with others it's Um, like you've hacked into my instagram account uh basically every time i open it it's just higa all over the place well there you uh, go yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's. I mean, it is, and I and I find it. I mean, we'll go into that in a moment. But you know, I do find it very heartwarming, even if it is mm. under the the uh, dooming auspices of of uh, COVID nineteen. But you know, yeah. Um, but so a few years ago, it started becoming a thing. And, you know, all of a sudden there were a series of uh, self-help books almost in the kind of like, how yeah. do you create your happiness through, you know, being an introvert in the sense of altering your life back into focusing on the home and on uh, focusing on yourself in that sense and, and mm. you know, having a safe space, I guess, to a degree. Um, and... Uh, you know, I, I took an interest in part because I, I do like the aesthetic to a degree. It's very kind of mm-hmm. shaker esque, um, mm-hmm. as as a lot of. I'm sure that if if you're certainly if you're a millennial and if you are on social media and certainly on Instagram, you have seen these beautiful homes in which the color scheme is all very uh, beige and white and black, and everything's yeah. very minimalist but very, uh, uh, you know perfunctory it's only the things you absolutely need and the things you know like you have more chairs that actually fold up in a corner and that's very practical because it gives you right. more space but you actually have more chairs to bring out whenever friends come over that kind of thinking yeah. is what's there's a lot of it. this in like the ikea catalog wasn't there absolutely absolutely the way, yeah all the all the little fairy lights, all the sort of you know the candles, the bringing the flowers in, making wreaths, yeah. you, you know, you name it, you the know, things. like it's all that, it's all that, all yeah. the things that make your house feel really cozy, which is the reason why you've mentioned cozy, because more often than not, in the English language, that is what it is associated with. Yeah. Now, in Scandinavia, however, this is a set, as I premised at the very beginning, it is. Uh, an idea that is associated with togetherness. So it's about not about the individual experiencing mm. a cozy home necessarily, although that's part of it, but it's about sharing that environment with mm. others. Um, mm. Having that, you know, the breaking bread, sharing bread, uh, yeah. to put in a very sort of uh, Judeo-Christian uh, analogy here. Um, and that was the thing that really 
attracted me to it i, I like mm. the aesthetic that was sort of how i got hooked in the first place sure. even though actually my house and and justin you you can see because we are on a skype call so you can actually yeah. see a little bit of my home probably not a lot but anyway yeah but it's far more colorful than that actually because i am from uh well sort of in kind of mediterranean country portugal is not exactly in the mediterranean but passes mm. as one country of part of that culture so we we like more colorful stuff perhaps and have more colorful uh aesthetics than 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 the higa traditional aspect of it but that said um you know it is all very much scented candles and you know flowers and bookshelves basically and, yeah. and then a cozy sofa to to read all that in um yeah. all those books in so you know i got hooked on on the aesthetic but then i got very interested in this idea of of commonality and of sharing mm. things with others and and cooking and you know i don't know like potluck whatever you like it and mm -hmm. i like the fact that you mentioned that there is a term from what you say it was the for in the Darbyshire. cozy in Derbyshire Nesh the Nesh yeah. term because yeah, it's actually not really it's kind of um actually it's not really a compliment to say someone's Nesh it's almost like um that that their cos their comfort and their individual like coziness is like almost like to the detriment of other people it's like it's almost as if is something you shouldn't be doing. So it's kind of, it's probably not the same hmm. term now I come to think about well, it. It is a little bit of a criticism. That probably... It's quite gendered, I think, as well. Uh, for, is it gendered in terms of, like, is it associated with women? Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be okay for me to be Nash because I'm a bloke. Right. Um, but yeah, it would be okay, more okay for other genders to be Nash. It's fine, it's... I've not interrogated the term. Right, okay. Well, this is interesting because <laughs> it probably goes into some of the criticisms of Higer political critiques i guess not criticisms mm. of of higa in 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 a, a wider term but in terms of uh, what I, the reason why i brought this this point of of you also knowing in terms we're having a term in derbyshire for, mm. for this coziness or whatever is because i'm sure that many other cultures have similar mm -hmm. aspects of it or it is culturally embedded you know i'm thinking about uh the culture i was brought up in which did have as taken as a granted um mm. a lot of these aspects of of family togetherness yeah. uh, sharing meals you know sh sharing a meal yeah. is part of this uh common aspect and cooking the meal as well by the mm. way which which would now feels like uh, making me want to go on a rant about things mm -hmm. like Huel and <laughs> food oh that isn't gosh. actually cooked but like let's leave that either for another show or perhaps to later in this one uh, I think it is associated nonetheless because again it brings me back to the question of um, capitalist alienation and how late capitalism yeah. has transformed us into beings of purely functional you know like we we eat we fuck we shit and we work and that's about it yeah. and everything yeah. else is kind of as long as we survive on that and we accept these parameters and mm. that's it and that's you know this is where the thread came from yeah. and how my how i want to somehow make get us to talk more about how to engage mm. in radical higa now just before we go into the radical aspect of it and just to finalize this part on Hege. The mm. big critiques I found politically about Hege, and again, I'm sure that many will possibly think it's not the case and they live Hege as as a cultural thing. Um mm. that and, and wouldn't accept this critique at least. I don't know. I again I'm not Scandinavian so I feel a little bit out of my uh uh perimeter here. But is that it, it is often also associated with a question of identity. And yeah. so when, and this is from a few years ago, even that I read some of these pieces, uh, when mm. it came to questions of um, 
you know, foreigners or migrants moving mm. to these Scandinavian countries where Hegge is, mm. is a, a lived thing. Um, how do you then welcome uh, mm. the other into a space yeah. that you've created that is premised on the idea of we are all the same because the other is what stands outside of the door. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so obviously for me, naturally as a, as a, as a socialist and, and as a, a Marxist, I want to shed uh, those. I want mm. to create a space where this, the, the, the idea of commonality also is able to embrace our differences. And, and that's the most difficult side of it all. Big I time. suspect. I was actually thinking about this before you came on the call and again, like what kind of uh, my history with this is. And I, I, re I remember, because I'm old enough to remember I'm 44 and I, as I said, I come from Derby. Um, the, there was this, I think that if, if this word Higger had been introduced in like the late 70s, early 80s in Derby, people have said, well, what, do you, what are you talking about? Well, we're already, already doing this. We call it this. You know, people always come around to each other's houses, the sense of neighborhood and community and the sense of what it's like to be from that particular time and place. And, and also class, I think, as mm. well. But again, I think thinking back to that, for example, um, I think it would have been very uh, difficult to be within that community and for to to feel that kind of sense of belonging if you didn't if you weren't straight or if you mm. uh, weren't white or if you um, if you weren't cis. So uh, there's probably I wonder whether you know the, whether the, the I guess we'll talk about this when we come to the radical section. But you know, can Higa be able to hold on to all of that? Can it, to what extent can it make everyone feel um, included in those kinds of bonds and that kind of uh, like act of commonality, I suppose, mm. is probably quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let, let's go, let's almost like, for me, I like to think of it, interestingly enough, although I start off by thinking about that, by thinking about the ways in which Higa apparently traditionally is based on the differentiation between Austin, the other, in order to create mm. the commonality, as a lot of identities are built. By the way, I mean this is mm. not exclusive to Higa, sure. um, or to cultures based on on togetherness. Um, mm -hmm. But I now like to invert uh, this dilemma, basically because what I like to think is how Higa was appropriated by um, a late capitalist aesthetic in the Western yeah. world, um, and so. And in that sense, we all have that in common, right? If you live yeah. in the Western world, um, it, you, you are more often than not subjected to these understandings of, of sort of the neoliberal self um, mm -hmm. by which you are encouraged to think about your well-being in a way that is, in my view, exclusively performative, right? Yeah. So you're told that we care about you and your mental health, at least in the mm -hmm. last couple of years, there is that yeah. rhetoric about um, but then any uh, structure, policy, measure that would actually improve your mental health is completely disregarded. It's, um, yeah. I mean, very recent. And with COVID, this comes all the more to the fore. Um, yeah. I, I was uh, saw someone tweet recently about um, 
how the Clintons sent, I don't know how many pizzas to some hospital for the medical staff amid the, mm. the uh, COVID-19 crisis. Um, you know, it was a beautiful sign of solidarity and we're all in this together. And someone yes. who was uh, a union organizer in the healthcare sector in the United States tweeting that there is a, a recurrent joke in that his uh, area that is, you know, bosses always, whenever they want to say that we're all in this together and show solidarity, bring pizzas but then when it comes to you know improving work and life conditions it's it's a no-show um and and i you know it's it's very emblematic of that in terms of of the you know work culture in in our societies um Mm. certainly in again in in the western world or in the sort of more developed economies that or so-called more developed economies that you find yourself in an environment in which you're encouraged to take care of yourself but in the mm. most individualistic, performative ways possible. Yeah. And that's where Hege comes into play as far as yeah. Ikea is concerned or whoever yeah. is writing all these books about living well and you yeah. know sharing it with others. It's like, okay, you are telling me to uh, make my home cozy and then share with others, but who am I sharing this with? And, yeah. and how am I sharing this with when I have never any time to share anything with? No. whatsoever perhaps at best within the space of the nuclear family um yeah. and that's pretty much it or you know outsource labor through uh, uh reproductive reproductive mm-hmm. outsource labor uh, which mm-hmm. is not really sharing it's a, it's a working transaction most of the time it's it's a labor transaction most of the time um so so yeah so for me it's the question of like okay if we all experience this at this particular point in time how do you then make that our commonality and perhaps this is a bit abstract at this point but i'm constantly thinking perhaps this is where hugh actually comes back into into the discussion um because i saw a brilliant piece by uh sarah munavis from the new statesman about uh, this was a couple years ago now about hugh and how hugh actually helped a lot of people with um uh with uh, uh, health um, eating disorders and how yeah. it actually so, helped them cope with it. Sorry, you, you're going to. In case in case you don't know, Huel is like this kind of like meal replacement kind of right. product, yes. isn't it? Explain. I guess it's like a, a powder and a. <laughs> it, 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 they have t-shirts and things as well. It's like a, it's a, the brand is incredibly powerful. Um, and um, so yeah, so it's kind of like uh, all the. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's all the nutrients that you need for a healthy diet. Hilda say that it should not replace every single meal. Um, it right. should replace one or two meals a day or something like that. And you should have, have, have a third one yeah. or something like that. But and probably other meal replacement products are available, right? Yes, yes. It isn't just Huel. But Huel yeah. has become the most popular, I guess, in the same yeah. way that we now call calling a, 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 a rented car an Uber or not a rented car, like a, yeah. a cab that isn't a black cab, an Uber. I think yeah. we're using Huel in that in that sense. Uh, yeah. And most, most companies that do this would probably say that actually you shouldn't replace all your meals with this da, 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 da. Um, mm-hmm. except that obviously a lot of people do and one of the arguments behind it is also that in you know and if we think about britain and about london in particular where uh the cost of living is so extortionate um mm. huel is a healthy in a way as far mm-hmm. as your you know nutrient consumption is concerned very mm. cheap alternative so mm. uh, and you know if and fast uh, and fast indeed so so if you and and again the article that sarah had wrote about which was a, an angle i had never thought of before is that if you have a, a difficult relationship with with food 
this isn't quite food in a way and therefore it helps you you know mm. get the nutrients you need and yeah. survive with with your with your condition um and and for me this this and and there were a lot of people obviously and there are a lot of people i have had uh you know, friendly discussions about this on Twitter with, with other people about Huel in particular and, and food replacements, mm. because I understand that for a lot of people, this is a, a health, a, a good alternative somehow mm-hmm. or a way to cope in a society that's already quite difficult to cope with. For me, part of the experience of being with others in this aspect of Higa and, and sharing mm. is very much premised on food. I know that's based on the culture I grew up with, but it, it mm-hmm. is the same with the original Higa itself, let's call it that way. And so yeah. food replacements within a neoliberal, again, within the neoliberal uh, uh, reality, um, feel like, yes, they fit very much with this, again, with this understanding of you live well, but really, is it really living well? And this is what mm. I'm trying to question all the time. Mm. Um, but for me, are completely anathema, right? Because... Mm. If I want to genuinely live well, not only do I want better working rights, mm-hmm. better pay, possibly a four-day week, if not less even, mm-hmm. um, but also I want to be able to eat and to share the food that I cook or that is cooked for me, which is something yeah. I don't quite think. And, and that, that process is part of, like cooking is part of that process, you know, it's part mm-hmm. of the sitting together, having a drink of whatever kind it might be, um, talking about our shared interests and then eating. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty box standard part of the human condition, I think, and, mm. and our socialization for millennia, uh, that entire process. And um, and so, you know, again, I, I feel like I've, we've gone on this tangent of the eating because it matters so much to me. <laughs> but there are, I guess there are other elements to, to Higer as well that um, where even if you were someone who didn't have a great relationship with food, there are other elements that people are experiencing now, uh, uh, other elements of Higer or Nesh or whatever we're calling it, that, that uh, aside from food, that people are experiencing now mm. kind of intentionally because mm. of COVID-19. So mm. the the comforts of being at home, um, the, I guess we can't have people around to our houses, but the, you know, having people in our homes via, you know, virtual pubs, which I'm certainly doing, um, and just kind of chatting to people over a glass of wine or, um, you know, adjusting the lighting in your room and that sense of, um kind of uh, creating like a, a, a nice life for yourself and being able to, uh, something I've noticed is I've not been quarantined. So I've been able to go outside and I'm smelling flowers, you know, for the first time in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is actually quite an enjoyable thing to do. And so it's this thing of being being able to, um, being able to uh, experience those, uh, all of our senses and to be able to, um, to slow down and to, I guess, be, you know, like mindfully enjoy some of these things. But mm. what we're saying here is that this is an opportunity to experience uh, Higa in this way. But in order for us to continue experiencing it in this way, once the virus is over, we're going to need to have substantial change and mm. to be able to think about uh, how we do it. And the way that, I guess, the way that Higa has been sold to us uh, as, uh, you know, um, buying the scented candle. Um, buying the La Creuse, um, you know, uh, buying all the cookbooks, and, <laughs> yeah, and you know, buying the, the the blankets and things. That's not what it is. That's they're, they're things that we can have to help us, but it, the things are not Higa. 
the higger is what we're doing with all of that stuff. It is the cooking, it's the chatting, it's the welcoming people into our homes, it's the, I guess, also knowing our neighbours. Um, yes, but absolutely. we can't do that. But we can't do those things under you know as soon as we all go back to work i mean i work from home but as soon as everyone goes back to work and mm. there's traveling an hour at the end of each day yeah uh, and they're just grabbing a sandwich and they're not taking a lunch hour they're, they're just eating at their desk or um they get home they're exhausted and there's also this kind of like privatization of sickness as well that people kind mm. of um still go into work when they're sick and then feel too guilty about taking a sick day that they don't they're going we and mj and i talked about this on a previous podcast about consent and covid but mm. so we need to so the radical bit of this is that is how do we find ways of bringing this in and what i found brilliant from your thread is that actually the the higger that was sold to us is neoliberal but actually the higger really is is the collectivity it is mm. the the ways of meeting each other and organizing ourselves in order to demand for the kinds of life that we want to have absolutely and that bit of higger has gone uh, in many parts of the West. Um, and so it's getting that crucial element back, isn't it? So it's kind of not so much the scented candles, it's the, it's the, the bringing people round for the scented candles mm-hmm. is the bit we need to get back. I think we should, just very briefly for the sake of, of the listeners who might be thinking, you know, not everyone is, is quarantined or locked down at home. There's, you know, all the so-called key workers and, and so on, a yeah. lot of whom are not, usually seen as key workers although all of a sudden they are all of a sudden people are realizing the importance of having someone to pick up their rubbish or Mm -hmm. someone to sell them even if the foods are lacking in the shelves of the supermarket but someone to still be there and so on so obviously for those people the experience of COVID-19 lockdown Mm -hmm. is is I'm sure very very different on the other hand for everyone who has what you know David Graeber and others have defined as bullshit jobs uh Mm-hmm. that capital kept arguing we couldn't really do on a four-day week or we can't really do um, working from home. Although a lot mm. of people with a more seniority or higher up the, the managerial echelon, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, do work from home very often. I, you yeah. know, when I, many years ago when I, when I worked in PR, I remember every single person who was a higher level manager, they worked from home on Fridays or something because they actually lived right. in Kent or something. So yeah. instead of having to commute five days in, they would commute four days in or something whilst obviously everyone else had to come in and and pay the rents and and live with the cramped spaces of of inner sure. uh central london but anyway but but all of a sudden it's proven that wrong you know oh wait a minute we mm. actually can do these things from home capital yeah. finance capital is very capable of adapting itself to mm-hmm. to this reality except mm. for in a more traditional sense of of uh, you know key workers labor uh, uh in which you do need people to to go into warehouses to go into supermarkets mm-hmm. to go into hospitals and provide that service um yeah. so this is this is already brought as as you pointed out earlier on class dynamics and 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 uh class privilege to the fore mm. for those who all of a sudden do have that privilege but are also a aware of that privilege perhaps but also aware of the benefits of of mm. staying at home uh, whilst doing these bullshit jobs, and I say these bullshit jobs because it's a term, it's because a term. I, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not dissing my own job, which I do love. No. Um, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, but uh, David Graeber's book, uh, Bullshit Jobs. Um, I've not read the book, but I've heard many podcasts with David Graeber on, and um, 
I think it's important to put that proviso just because I don't think that everyone is having this experience of all of a sudden going no. like, oh my God, it's amazing being at home. Why don't I do this all the time? I've st- I'm still being relatively to quite productive, perhaps not in the way that capital would mm. love it, uh, in a sense of being extremely, extremely productive and extremely alienated from the output you're putting out, uh, which is yeah. how effectively a lot of people feel when they would do a nine to five job in an office and then all they want to do during the weekend is get drunk quite understandably because they want mm-hmm. to just forget about how traumatic that whole experience was from monday yeah. to friday um so but but you know all of a sudden you're you're getting to experience it very differently and um you're getting to you know maybe have breakfast while you're doing a zoom meeting uh and mm-hmm. you're still maybe you're not in your pajamas or at least not from uh the you know waist up but uh <laughs> but you uh but you might be in comfort- much more comfortable clothes you didn't have to wake up hours in advance because you had a long commute you don't have the commute which is by the way a, a, a fine it's a deduction from your pay that mm, particularly yeah. in cities like london again uh, i reference london because i live in london um you lose t- often two hours of your day just inside a public transportation service of some kind or another, um, that's not paid and you're only there because you need to go somewhere to sell your labor. But anyway, uh, another tangent we could go into. Um, But but so all of a sudden you realize all these advantages of being at home. And also I suspect for some, even if uh, I'm sure for a lot of mothers and fathers out there uh, and others, having children in the home Mm. the whole time is quite exhausting. And in fact, I'm sure that for a lot of uh, women or um, people who are understood as women in our society, uh, the uh, weight of reproductive labor has not been necessarily quite enjoyable because more often not it falls Mm. upon their shoulders. Um, Nonetheless, I'm sure that for many it has, at least in the first couple of days, because that is, again, how how it manifested itself on social media is like, oh my God, this is incredible. You know, I am able to cook a nice meal without the stress of having to rush to the supermarket to buy the ingredients to feed these people to so on and so forth. Sure. That kind of thing obviously, you know, wears off after a while because our society is not yet structured to actually <laughs> work like this. We're here because it's yeah. it's a it's a temporary emergency measure. Um yeah. but the question is how would it be if we actually lived in a society that planned and provided for it? Exactly. It's not like we're talking about COVID-19 as being like a utopia for everyone. And the ability God. to have this I'd kind imagine. of a higa is very unfairly, um, it's very, uh, it's unfairly distributed. So, mm. uh, you know, um, uh, it's easier and it was already easier for people uh, working in the London office four days a week to have a long weekend of higa at home when they live in Kent, as you were talking about earlier. Mm. So, but this is the, this is the thing is that um, it's about, um, can we learn to bring in Higa for uh, people who are parents, but also for people who are care workers and people who are stacking the shelves? So uh, to, an, to an extent, what we're talking about here is wealth inequality as well, aren't we, really? Mm. Is that, you know, con- uh, countries where uh, people's uh, mental health is better have um, less wealth inequality. Mm. Uh, everyone has more rights. That's just a simple fact. Um, that's something which, you know, Higa, we're talking about Higa being like a uh, Northern European, Scandinavian, um, you know, maybe like social democratic, um, uh, its roots are in maybe like social democratic kind of uh, countries. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of political change that we need, isn't it, to, in order that 
we get we are doing Higa beyond the nuclear that it's not just us doing it for ourselves in our little atomized kind of worlds with you know a, a succulent or I keep thinking of examples of Higa uh, and maybe looking around my flat this cactus <laughs> is that a, an example of Higa um, the many succulents uh, I don't know I have a theory about millennials and plants and i'm going to include you in the millennials just in here you know okay, I, i'm older than millennial okay uh, but, but i'll include you in <laughs> in in this in that space for the sake of it since since you're talking about your cactuses or a cacti so um because i i suspect that although the trend has been changing a little bit at least in 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 the uk or certainly for a certain um space of the middle classes but i think the plants have very often to do with uh our inability financially speaking to be able to procreate also not just financially at times you know uh, uh, emotionally how difficult it is to uh, find the courage and and just and just the you know hope to have children in a time of you know climate disaster uh, and so on and so forth and so plants and uh, I mean like I mean financially I, I mentioned financially first simply because I'm thinking I would love a dog and I I cannot even afford to have a dog mostly no. interestingly enough and I, I tweeted this today um, because I often work very long shifts by which I mean longer than eight hours plus commute so way mm. longer than eight hours and that's just completely unfair on 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 an animal and, and for if it's the whole point you know even though I work from home some days also as a freelance journalist sometimes I have to go into offices or studios and then the poor pet unlike Tintin which is why sort of my ideal of the journalist with a dog which is what mm. I'm still trying to live up to and, and be um for all its problems i'm just you know let's let's go let's not go into analyzing tintin and its possible <laughs> problems as as a as a as a, a series of cartoons rather just you know the journalist with a little dog that goes along that's what i wanted and unfortunately that's not really how it manifests itself uh in reality so you know for us what we opt for often is plants and i am capable of killing even cacti and, yeah. and, and succulents. So I, I am just doomed, to be fair. Just now, I'm <laughs> going to put it out there. Uh, I'm just doomed. But, but um, with, uh, with more radical higa, right, mm. what could happen is that um, because you have your neighbours around for dinner all the time and uh, you go around to theirs for dinner and everyone kind of knows each other, people could uh, stop by and take your dog out for a walk yeah. or water your plants. Yeah, um, well, one would hope. And also, and also because we're... we're we're not having to work so hard to pay for our insanely expensive flats. Um, we could just spend a bit more time at home. Um, spend more time at home, afford a dog walker if that's the case. Yeah. Um, or just, you know, like the, the whole structure of our lives would be changed in, a, in ways that I believe would be barely uh, uh, felt by capital in a way. Um, mm. Would free us though a lot more, which perhaps would be endangering capital a lot more because it would give us more mm. free time to read and organize. Um, but but yes, absolutely, immensely improve our quality of life, not least mm. by by giving us a chance to yes have a, a baby or a dog or a cat or whatever y you feel like you want to to mm. devote your love to, or that might mm -hmm. well be by the way, devoting a lot of your time or all of your time to your community. Uh, and yeah. that can bring b both mean bringing people into your home for, for mm. a meal or going into other people's homes for meals. Or, you know, I, I mean meals because it's the first thing you think of when you think of something together. You could think of mm. game nights sure. or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, whatever takes your fancy. I like eating. <laughs> if it wasn't clear <laughs> already from this podcast. Um, 
but yes, or, or whatever, or, or dedicating it to your community again, as, as said earlier on, which is what does threaten capital: organizing, mm. organizing for yeah. better rights for your community, organizing yeah. your your fellow coworkers. Which again, two elements I just wanted to anecdotally pull for for you know, if this wants to bring any hope to to your listeners. Two things. One on the neighbors. Yesterday, mm-hmm. when I was walking, doing my uh, my daily allowed uh, element of exercise, <laughs> and I, I went for literally just a walk around uh, my neighborhood, um, there were two sets of neighbors talking through a window, and it looked pretty much like they had never talked before. They were very sort of laughing in that way that is like, oh my god, you know, the wonderment of like I'm talking to yeah. the, my neighbors, and there was a, a what. I am assuming here, so apologies to these people if that's not the case, but assuming it was a gay couple on the basement mm-hmm. floor, you know, so like mm-hmm. the sort of Georgian homes where you can have like the basement floor has a little window and there's like a little moaty right. thing. And then someone, a, a couple, a straight couple, um, again, looked like a straight couple. Apologies if that wasn't the case. Um, who I'm guessing lived upstairs because the door to the actual building was kind of like slightly ajar and they were sort of leaning in from and looking at the window from the basement flat and they were talking Mm. through the window and just commenting on covid basically and on quarantine and whatnot and i it really warmed my cockles i don't care if whatever Mm. you know sexual uh, 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 inclination these people had or their relationships at the end of the day it seemed like four different people who hadn't really had much of a chance to talk to each other and lived mere meters apart they probably recognize each other's faces that's about that and they were having a little chat and talking about like you know we should Mm. we should get to the 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 now infamous we should get together once this is over um and that really warmed my cockle so that was one about you know getting to know your neighbors and how it's not the case very often Mm. in 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 our society at this point um and the other uh interesting one was that and perhaps I hope this doesn't get us in trouble, but that would be symptomatic of our fucked up society as well. Um, so as a freelancer, I, I am in the NUJ, the National Union of Journalists, but I, you know, it's difficult organizing other than mm. basically sharing uh, tips or complaints about this employer didn't pay me or that employer mm-hmm. has better rights or whatever. There's not much we can do as collective orga- organizing unless it is we're three freelancers at this particular outfit. Let's do that mm-hmm. or the other. And even that is very, very difficult because of mm. trade union uh, laws in this country. But let's not go into that. However, uh, and again, it doesn't mean much in terms of, of actual effect, at least at the end of it. But as soon as the quarantine lockdown came into place and one of my, my main kind of uh, outfit my main employer, let's put it that way, um, went into, okay, everyone's going home and they, they did find ways of, for us to work home and that was great. Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. But all of a sudden somebody set up a Facebook group or maybe the Facebook group was already there but it came back into action um, for freelancers at that outfit. And all of a sudden I saw all sorts of people who, you know, I'm very openly uh, Marxist over there um, and, you know, it's not a hostile environment. People are okay mm. with that. It's a quite liberal news outfit. Um mostly people are not as politicized as I am and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden I saw people who never had an interest in joining the union, sharing an interest in like, what can I do? What are our rights? How do I join yeah. the union? Da, 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 da. And people came together. And so, you know, like COVID is in a way a comrade. That's, that's yeah. all I wanted to say. Well, <laughs> Working the, from home and yet still organizing. Well, I wonder whether just, um, you yeah, know, mutual aid groups and the way that they mm. have been developing and just how, you know, how many different needs that they're meeting both uh, you know financially but also in terms of like running errands and also just generally in kind of 
in terms of support, you know, that's going to be introducing people to a kind of a collectivity that a lot of people just haven't experienced. Even just the other night, I live on an estate, just the, the clapping for the NHS, which mm. I, I'm so side-eye about. Um, huge respect for NHS workers, love the NHS. I can't imagine how difficult it, it is slash it is going to be for NHS workers, but clapping is the most... And yet, um, didn't it bring a little tear to your eye? Not really, but it was uh, nice to see everyone, and it was really nice to hear the clapping. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, it just shows you how, like, hungry we are for that, actually. Mm, and mm. we don't have to really... I mean, we are in, like, un- completely unprecedented times, so um, I think it's going to be in a lot of interests a lot of people's interests, it's going to be capital's interests, that um, all of this kind of just goes away, you know, as soon mm. as the virus is over, that boom, that's all gone. But I don't think it will. Um, I hope it won't. I hope that we can all find ways to do it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a general strike, although I'd be well up for that. But, yeah. Um, but <laughs> Let's do it. for us just to have... Britney Spears greatest... has called one, Justin. Britney Spears exactly. has called one. It's got to happen now. <laughs> but as I said to like friends after the election loss, you know, we've had 40 years of this and it's mm. going to take more than four years to overturn it. And it's going to... I do think it's... It, 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 I, I don't think we're going to get to... I guess where you and I want it to be, but at least if we get to a point where um, all of the people who are out doing these jobs at the moment, with the support of everyone relying on these on the key workers, will get pay rises. You know, just something mm. as basic as that. Mm. Um, and that if they ask for a pay rise, it, you know, if Deliveroo um, demands that an end to zero hours contracts, and we're all like, well, yeah, obviously, yeah, they were, we couldn't have done without them. Mm. You know, that kind of maybe there'll be a kind of collective pressure to at least do things like that and to at least properly fund the health service and to have public health services again. Um, yeah, I, but, I would go, sorry, go on. Go on. Yeah, go no, on. I was just going to say, I would go as far as saying, although unfortunately, uh, as you mentioned, the general election proved my pessimist self, right? Uh, yeah. That perhaps these things are not, certainly not in this country for a series of historic and cultural reasons perhaps but let's not go there uh yeah. not as not as straightforward but i i find it interesting and and in my more optimist self would imagine that the reaction of this government which was to in the first instance to prioritize profit and to prioritize capitalist relations in terms of you know how companies work make sure the workers are still there create herd immunity, et cetera, et cetera, mm. has actually exacerbated the yeah. way in which people understand the fallacy that the system is premised on. Whilst if you look at countries that have, as we mentioned before, in the context of Higa, uh, a more well-nourished welfare state and mm. where governments, even governments that you know are not status necessarily you know we're not talking about china where there is a state mm. apparatus we're talking about mm. countries like italy like portugal like germany um yeah. the state did intervene very early on yeah. and was able to i mean in the case of italy actually didn't intervene very early on and then we saw what happened but mm. in the in the case of portugal and, and, and germany it, it did mm. and we saw far better managed uh, yeah. uh, a, a far better managed crisis um and and it, it I mean, it remains to be seen. Again, my negative self or my pessimist self is thinking, I wonder if people really learned a lesson here and then as soon as things are better, people just go back to normal, you know, business as usual or mm. not. Proofs in the pudding, I guess. Let's see what happens in June or whenever we get out of this. Yes. Um, but um, 
But I would have hoped at least that to a certain element of, of our society, perhaps one that is already kind of politicized and even more so perhaps one that felt demoralized after the general election, that there's this feeling of we must persevere because in the world we live in today, these situations of, of pandemics, of crisis that turn into national crisis and international crisis will happen more and more often. Maybe they're yeah. fires, wildfires. That's what we had before. I think people have forgotten about those by now, the Amazon and the mm -hmm. bushfires in Australia. Um, then it was horrendous storms, continuous. Every weekend there was a different storm from mm -hmm. Storm Chiara to all the other names that I've now forgotten, but they seemed like to be a mm -hmm. new one every single weekend yeah. to now a, a, a virus, a very infectious, deadly virus. These Big are time. these are not you know these are not going to be and we're in in the process we're going to have to be at home more and more mm -hmm. often, and mm -hmm. that the question is whether that will mean isolation or mm -hmm. commonality and 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 in com community in a way. That's a really important point. It's it's interesting. Uh, just be, I, I'm conscious that I kind of want to get to the demands for radical Hegel because mm. the, the, this is the, the last bit of your thread that I just want to kind of get to. But it's an interesting one there. What you were talking about in terms of the state, because I think it's an ex another example of where the macro is the micro and vice versa. That in neoliberal states like ours, the, the, all of the fat has been trimmed off. We've been talking about um, you know efficiency savings, and actually, mm. what those efficiency savings were doing was actually just making our capacity go from um, 80 to 95 percent which means we have no spare capacity for dealing with uh, COVID or storms or any of the any of the uh, uh, climate crises that we're going to uh, face over the next few years so it's about it's about doing that but also it kind of it makes me think about us as individuals as well and in our communities about how we also kind of reduce our capacity you know if we're at 95 percent mm. Um, and then something bad happens to us, then, you know, we just get to capacity almost straight away. And without us being able to have that built-in spare capacity for each other that we can nurture together in a more collective way that is just outside of our nuclear units, um, then we're more, we're more able to support each other's mental and emotional health and more able to have a nicer life. And that, to me, also is what Higa is about, right? It's mm. about having that kind of, this yeah. idea if we go back to cooking again that you know that we're that we're not just kind of uh, cooking on a sunday you know a big stew and then freezing it freezing off the portions for ourselves for the rest of the week that's not higa like higa is making what is stew that and planned meals or whatever it. they call it yeah exactly like <laughs> meal, it's meal cooking prep and meal having prep. people around exactly and then you get all of the the added agency of people collecting collecting their bits of agency together yes not everyone might be having the meal that they might have wanted, but what they're getting is the ability to chat to each other about what's going on in their lives and to be able to to help each other out. And that's, I get it would be nice to get back to that place. And I think for people who, if you're experiencing this for the first time in a long time, dear listener, I think this is like the thing to hold on to that that sense of your connectedness with not even necessarily your neighbours, although that would be nice, but just your connectedness to more people. I think is a way forward where we can no longer be these kind of the individual where we can as uh humans citizens slash subjects no longer be the neoliberal selves that we're actually that we're not just these tiny units sorry i went on a 
that's the kind of rant that I kind of have quite often in the podcast. No, Listeners no, no. will be used to that. It's it's good. This is this is what <laughs> we're aiming for, you know, like this this rebellion against the atomization of yeah. of individuals. Even if by atomization we don't actually mean you live alone in a in a in a you know a mm. tiny flat or something it might just be you live alone in your nuclear family and it's nothing you know like again it's nothing particularly new we're not reinventing the wheel this these critiques no, no, of no. of yeah. of social organization have been there uh throughout the ages certainly in a, in a post-war period they were there mm. um and they were uh, in some places very much um you know overcome or replaced or mm, somewhat mediated through other uh, collective uh infrastructures or state infrastructures like the welfare state uh, like mm. urban planning which is something that yeah. has been talked about quite a bit in in this um context again of, of cor the coronavirus um mm. about you know particularly in this country where they see videos of people in italy on their lovely balconies or in germany in their lovely balconies and go like oh wait a minute most of us don't have balconies why yeah. is that and all of a sudden it makes you question why you know it's not just because the weather here is not as good you know it is a question of how do you organize the spaces you live in exactly um, we've had crappy public buildings for people to live in uh you know um since the late 70s 80s 90s mm. like just terrible spaces and, in, in. and incredibly good ones before that you know and this yeah. is you know the, the fascinating i i am a even though it goes i mean if you have and I mean this with, with no harm, hipster listeners <laughs> on, on this show, you know, a lot of them will possibly be interested in the question of Higgins because they heard about it before, but a lot of them will now like, you know, be uh, orgasming at the thought of, you know, like uh, brut brutalist, brutalist architecture and how actually in this country often as a social experiment was quite successful. Um, mm -hmm. But, you yep. know, and, and, you know, like I, I have a lot of respect for that because I do love buildings that are well, that are well built. I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, all of a sudden, all these these questions that 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 come forward about like the quality of our living that should be a demand. So uh, let's get to this. So yeah, let's okay, get let's to our to demand. demand. So yeah. I'm going. I'm on your Twitter thread right now, which okay. is uh, which sparks off the whole conversation. So demands. What do we want, Joanna? <laughs> we want better, bigger houses. Transitional demands. I should add, as the good trot that I was right, once was. Uh, yeah. You know, these these are not the revolution. <laughs> these are just the things that we could start off from. I guess we're baby steps. I exactly. <laughs> so better housing. I mean, that's um, with um, enough space for people to eat and for. Uh, for people to, you know, have living rooms for people to live in and, and come around to. Um, mm. um, thriving local high streets, accessible by foot. I really love this one um, because the demise in high street is terrible. As I say, I'm from Derby. Mm. And uh, when I was growing up, going into town was a thing that you did. And it was an enjoyable activity. You go, you meet friends, you have a coffee, you'd never buy anything because, you know, I was a teenager and <laughs> working class and always broke but you know going into town was like a cultural event like a cultural activity and you'd see what's on go see some art or whatever art there was yeah, you in had derby. spaces to convene in exactly and that doesn't exist anymore in mm. derby uh, any derby listeners you know what i'm talking about um <laughs> higher food standards so that the that we can all have access to nicer food mm. I mean, uh, this 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 we've been this plugs into our yeah. conversation about Huel. Really, yeah. it, it's interesting that that list of demands on my Twitter. It's it's as a writer, it's funny that very often, and this is like a different conversation, but very often I find these this these Twitter threads, the beginning of articles I then later write because I just feel angry and I write it all down and then it was like, yeah. oh wait, there's an article here, and and so 
most of those demands will be in Twitter threads I did at one point or another about those particular issues. And in particular, I'm thinking now, one about the heel, which I did do. And in fact, I, I had an exchange with uh, Sarah Munavis from The New Statesman, again, based on her piece. And it was it was a really good, again, like not, not a, yeah. a, 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 we were not arguing in any, any shape or form. Um, we were talking about heel and, you know, the, the, quality of food and how you eat and how you're able to cook um and and you know how do you organize quality of food in uh globalized uh food chains in Mm -hmm. in you know when you mostly eat foods that are the product of globalized food chains you know Mm -hmm. and to give you a concrete example why are tomatoes in this country so tasteless uh you know (laughs) Uh, but mostly it's because they are important from places where they need to be rapidly produced with an you know excessive water little sunlight in order to still be kind of green by the time that they get here so they don't rot in the process etc etc so how do we readapt these these food chains Mm -hmm. um or these you know distribution chains at large if we think about other products too to for the sake of, of a better a better higher quality of life and again if i may plug an excellent article about the question of food chains or and and distribution chains commercial chains in this um or logistics in this country in particular and how is how it's terrible and why you're currently seeing such little Mm -hmm. stuff in your food in your shelves in the supermarket um there was an article in navarra by um craig who Craig Gent, yes, indeed. was it? Craig Gent, amazing article. It's a great, great article about about you know it's not it's not your fault that there are no there's no toilet paper in in yeah. the supermarket basically to to summarize it very briefly. Yeah, um, there so, wasn't yeah, so, so yeah, so yeah, so yeah, so that that's one demand that I've I've gone on about. Uh, the other one is the question of this this. Um, the local high street, the high quality local high street. And I originally put it in the context, and I think I do as well in the the Hygge thread, um, Mm. in the context of a shorter working week. And that is because since I've gone freelance, which was a couple of years ago, not just over uh, two years ago now, um, all of a sudden I have a little bit more free time um, Mm -hmm. to use up and often at times that other people are working. So during the week, you know, the working Mm. week, um, to do, to go to do the things that I need to do that we all need to do, but other people can only do during the weekend, like Mm. go to the post office, have a doctor's Mm -hmm. appointment, whatever. And I've noticed that because I have more free time, I don't have to rush and things are open and I know I'm not going to find huge cues necessarily. I get to walk, you know, it's possibly a 20 minute walk that usually I would take a bus to or cycle Mm. to whatever. And now I can just walk. And I think it's vital that that is not just the the premise of someone who has more time and certainly middle class and privileged like I am and, and white mm. and cis and so on, but actually of everyone. And more often mm. than not, the immediate way of resolving that, if you don't want to implement a shorter working week, which should also be part of the transitional demands, is to have a fully functional, nearby, thriving high street. Yeah. It's as simple as that, where there is you know no shortage of places to convene which is important mm. for social and political aspects if you want to organize mm. um there's a whole other space here and, and in fact one of the demands i i talk about is the preservation and creation of public spaces libraries community halls children's mm-hmm. centers because that's where you come together you collectivize labor that otherwise would be very often again uh, uh put on the shoulders of those most vulnerable particularly mm. uh 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 
black uh, women or or uh, feminized work, often people mm -hmm. that end up sh shouldering again the feminized work of reproductive labor. Um, so you know that that's already alleviates a lot of a lot of people's uh, uh, struggles, but also it helps you organize. You know, one of the yeah. big problems in our society today is that, and certainly if you're on the left and or you're progressive mm -hmm. in some shape or form and want to organize, and a lot of the problems that these um, uh, mutual aid groups have found once the whatsapp groups stop being enough is that you don't i mean right now we can't even meet to be fair so that's no, like yeah. there anyway but if this was outside of that space of of quarantine we don't actually have physical spaces very often to organize to no. you know store goods to meet up no. and have the logistics meeting that you can't fully have on a whatsapp group or even mm -hmm. via zoom particularly when people you know are transient when they come in and out of these groups and don't have the time to always go to these things and we yeah. just don't have those spaces anymore because they've been privatized um so you know all of that takes place more often than not in a thriving high street you know whatever kind way of you want to describe it even and even more basic than that you know if you're go if you're going on your high street every day and you're seeing the shopkeepers and you're able to communicate with shopkeepers that's a, a, that is a level of, of like connectivity that a lot of people just don't have because mm. they don't have the t by the time they get home all the local shops are shut because people are having to leave home like before eight and get home after six and their butchers was closed mm. um, they might see them on saturday but uh, but they might also just choose to go to the big sainsbury's in their car or something mm. so um, which by the way i don't think that the self-checkouts are necessarily <laughs> you know go, no. they go back into this you even that space yeah. of interaction you've you've removed from all of a exactly. sudden you're communicating with a machine uh, communicating is a, it's a bit of a stretch so here the thing is if you're talking to your butchers or your greengrocers or your cheesemakers or your uh, uh, whoever else then your concerns are their concerns. So mm. you're connected to that person. If they're having problems with, um, you know, a parking issue outside the house, or outside their place, or their rent's gone up, then their rent going up is suddenly your issue because mm. where are you going to get your your cheese from, for example? Mm. Uh, but, um, you know, to walk past the post office and, you know, there's a, a sign on the post office saying we're closing down and then, and then people gather around the sign and then, you know, and then there's, a, you know, something you can literally doing something as small as that. It, it can connect us to other people in our neighborhoods, mm, mm. even if they're not even necessarily coming into our homes. And, and I'll, I'll add something else to, to this analysis, which is you're talking about things that a lot of people will very qu quickly dismiss as middle class demands right so you yeah. know why do you care about you know this is what i often hear like oh what a what a bourgeois demand to want to have your local butchers or your local uh fishmongers or your local you, you said cheesemongers as well which is often if if i would ever even bring up cheese oh my goodness that's already <laughs> such a, a bourgeois thing and actually i think i think this is a way in which particularly in this country um class has very often been punctuated by quality of life in, in, in its immediate terms in the sense that if you're working class it's not either the done thing or even acceptable to demand things that are often the privilege of mm. uh, the upper middle classes or the middle mm. classes and so all of a sudden to demand more than you know meat into veg uh, mm. or or you know or whatever like loaf bread which is one of my yeah. pet peeves um, s seems to be some sort of like excruciatingly uh, uh, self-indulgence um, 
which which is not you know like everyone and and it it wasn't to be fair you know like your your grandmothers did go if you're working class your grandmothers went to the bakery just as much as uh, the well possibly the cheese shop and the cheese shop um <laughs> perhaps not the wine shop i'll grant you that no uh but uh, but that is a more geographical question and that can be transcendent now because we live in a globalized world and i know that i'm not saying that everyone who's working class or or, or progressive or radical will immediately say like oh god i don't want to drink wine because that's you know a french thing or whatever or, or i don't want to eat cheese that isn't mild cheddar from sainsbury's absolutely not i know many radical uh, uh people who who don't live middle class lifestyles who do know uh, that these things should be part of their demands. But I think it's important for us to to punctuate the conversation by saying that, like, these demands should not... In fact, I would say that, you know, I grew up in a very privileged middle-class uh, family back in, in Portugal, uh, extremely middle-class, I, I would add. Mm. And if anything, my uh, socialism and more Marxism alongside uh, you know national policy like the fact that portugal got involved with the iraq war which is how i got politicized and and other things like that was also very much brought on by the realization that i had access to things that i thought were just very good to me which they were uh but they shouldn't just be the purview of the upper middle classes things like a school with a good stacked library for instance mm-hmm. you know like simple stuff like that and i, I went to private mm-hmm. school i've written about that on, on on twitter as well um and and in fact private schools you know like why are they a thing why aren't this mm-hmm. why isn't the standard of of how people at least understand private schools and many of mm-hmm. them are you know like with lots of you know nice halls good technology big libraries i mean my school even had the freaking swimming pool <laughs> Not a fancy one, just a sort of like in Portugal it gets warm, therefore you can jump in there during the summer. Not like a heated Mm. Olympic swimming pool. It it didn't get that far. Um, But nonetheless, you know, like why are these things, you know, in a country like Portugal where you can swim for about four months of the year or whatever, Mm -hmm. why not have schools with swimming pools? What's, you know? Yeah. So so, anyway. I guess there's like, um, I guess just to kind of, I guess we should round up because we've been yeah. talking for an hour, which is nice. We've been doing much longer podcasts lately. We don't know how our listeners are thinking about that. <laughs> Let us know, dear listener. Um, but um, I guess the thing is, is that I guess because these things have seemed kind of out of our reach, the idea that we might have more time, that, that we might be able to have these kinds of like um, more flexible, adaptable lives where um, we're not a kind of, uh, we're, we where we're able to work in a different way that suits us and we have more autonomy over how we organize our lives as well as having these kinds of these kind of newfound networks and and newfound time to do the things that we didn't have time to do before uh these have seen until now to be to have seen like too big an ask to have but actually what we're talking about here is if we organize and we just I guess get more political is that you know things that we the things that we can be asking for the uh, intermediary demands um, are not so outlandish in order that we could actually have this life so thriving yeah. high streets uh, access to food access to you know uh, play areas and being able to you know walk around and have a nice neighborhood um, and uh, access to libraries uh, and being able to work fewer being able to work more fewer hours and more flexibly uh, these are not outrageous demands no um, they are very uh, normal realities in countries where higa is a thing uh, exactly you know and and nobody would say that those countries are perfect uh, nobody would no. say that those countries are 
revolutionary communist i mean i'm sure some people will say those countries are communist but that bears no resemblance to reality um these are just you know these are the kinds of things you're able to win when you organize and make demands collectively Mm -hmm. um and if we bring this period of somewhat of reflection and of enforced collectivity to a degree for some because you're mm. you know in the same space with possibly at least one other person um mm-hmm. in all kinds of relationships you know they might be your flatmates they might be your family mm-hmm. they might be your landlord <laughs> uh and if you're thinking about these things right now why not also think about how we could transform society in a way where the things that you really like about this strange experiment are kept and become part of our daily lives um and the things that you didn't like why is that and and how can we well just basically make do with them and you know eradicate them and improve them like small spaces like extraordinary rents and etc that you know who knows how we're going to get paid because a lot of people have sort of gone furlough or even lost their jobs yeah well it's uh a hugely uncertain time and um we talked about that in our kind of uh, in our episode about how to deal with the stress around coronavirus dear listener which you've probably listened to already that um about how to um embrace that kind of uncertainty um but it is going to be uncertain and we hope that this this podcast we just recorded isn't a kind of a, a glib you know th- everything can be better for everyone because things are going to be uh, a lot worse for a lot of us um mm. as a result of this crisis but it's is this all we're talking about here is the is the uh, the structures in which a better life could be had for everyone, um, and that, that's we hope you found that an interesting uh, thing to think about over the last hour and so minutes. Uh, so just leaves for me to say thank you so much, Joanna, uh, for coming on. This has been super interesting. Uh, You're most and welcome. It's been really great having you on, and uh, so until next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.